Welcome to the Gratitude Cafe, positive radio to feed your soul. Your dynamic host and founder, Sue Lundquist, will bring you her own intuitive talents and gifts for co-creating, healing, and teaching. Her show, The Gratitude Cafe, Positive Radio to Feed Your Soul, is focused on bringing you to a higher place each week where you can leave the hustle of life at the door. So pull up a chair and join us for The Gratitude Cafe, Positive Radio to Feed Your Soul. Hey, Benny, guess what? Yes, we have Dr. Joe Dispenza, one of my favorite men and teachers. He is an amazing transformational worker, teacher. He is absolutely amazing, and I am super excited to have him on. But before we do that, we're going to do quick housekeeping because I want to do a shout out to my sponsors because we love them and please help me to keep the ball rolling and to support them. That being Josh Parkinson with Resonate Web Leadership. He helps Seattle businesses get out of the rut and grow. And I can personally, I absolutely, he has made my business grow leaps and bound on social media. Resonate Builds gorgeous, effective websites, and also helps you market your business online, grow your authority and following, and rise up the Google search results. He also does this with personal guidance to take all the confusion and dead ends out of the way. Uh, For health and wellness industry, Resonate Naturally specifically helps clinics, doctors, and practitioners uh, by providing the same types of services, but also tailors them specifically for your, your unique needs. You can find him at ResonateWeb.Agency, contact him for a free consultation. Again, that's ResonateWeb.Agency, and that's Josh Parkinson. All right, I'm going to do a quick little introduction for Dr. Joe Dispenza, um, but I'm going to bring him on, and we're going to talk about, honestly, how to change or breaking the habit of being yourself, or you are the placebo, his many international workshops. Dr. Joe Dispenza, of course, he first caught our eye as the scientist in What the Bleep Do We Know? Do you remember that back a few years ago? I think that was in 2004. Well, he and his work has expanded and deepened and has spiraled in several key different directions. Um, As a teacher and a lecturer, Dr. Joe has been invited to speak for more than 27 countries and six continents, educating thousands of people in his trademark, easy to understand very much. I've been to his workshops and it's very practical and very hands-on, very transformational right then and there. And then the tools that you acquire at his workshops will go with you for the rest of your life, not only for the rest of your life, but your children and your generations going forward. He's got a very loving, compassionate style. He's very detailed on how you can rewire the brain and recondition the body to make those lasting changes. I'm going to just go ahead and bring him on. I feel like, Benny, we should have this round of applause for him of some sort. Dr. Joe Dispenza, it's an absolute pleasure. Thank you for joining me and on my birthday. I'm so happy to be with you, too. Thank you. Thank you. Let's jump in. Can we talk? Let's get personal. I want you to tell the audience a little bit about your personal journey, your your story on how you got where you're at today. Well, I think for some of us to wake up, we need a wake-up call. And for me personally, I got the call in 1986. I was run over by a truck in a triathlon, broke six bones in my back and had uh, bone fragments on my spinal cord and 
prognosis was pretty poor, that I'd probably never walk again. And um, they wanted to do a radical surgery, uh, four opinions from four of the leading surgeons in Southern California saying, um, uh, you know, without the surgery, you'll probably never walk again. You may not walk again with the surgery. Um, and so I had to make a choice. You know, was I going to stick with the conventional model of uh, following, you know, um, tradition and, and what normal people do, or was I going to step into the unknown and really take a chance to see if I could heal this on my own? And in 1986, there were, just weren't a lot of people uh, even attempting this. So I had a lot of uh, resistance from the medical community, but um, I decided to do it. And uh, I just had this idea that the power that made the body heals the body, and um, that intelligence lives within us. And I thought, I'm not going anywhere or doing anything. I'm basically laying face down and not moving. So I thought, I'm going to make an effort to make contact with this intelligence. And if it's a consciousness, and consciousness is awareness, and awareness is paying attention, it must be paying attention to me. So I had to take all of my attention off the people and things and places in my external environment. I had to get beyond my emotions and my body and my habits, my identity, and, and really get beyond linear time and, and be completely present with it because it's completely present with us. And so I think the challenge for me was I couldn't get my mind to do what I wanted it to do, and that bothered me. So I went on this journey, and after about six weeks, I started noticing significant changes in my body. And the moment I started to notice changes in my external environment in my body, I started paying attention to what I was doing inside of me, and then that was the moment uh, I did it with more conviction and passion, and uh, it worked. And so I just made a deal with myself that if I was ever able to walk again, I'd spend the rest of my life studying the mind-body connection and mind over matter, and that's pretty much what I've been doing since 1986. And very well. <laughs> very well. And I have been um, blessed enough to attend your workshops before, and it's profound. I have seen people, I, I can't remember, and I don't want to butcher this story, but there was a gal when you were here in Seattle and she, I forget, she had a disease in her body where it was very painful for her to walk. And by the time that she had gone through the weekend with your process and your teaching, she was running across the lawn. Yeah, that was an amazing story. She was uh, an MS patient. She was in a wheelchair bound for about 10 years. And, uh, well, you know, I mean, if you believe in the concept that we have some control over our destiny, that we're not doomed by our genes or, or hardwired to be a certain way for the rest of our life, that we're marvels of adaptability and change, is it possible then to really begin to signal new genes in new ways and begin to restructure uh, the, the, the uh, architecture of our, of our neural patterns? And, and she, she had an amazing breakthrough in that event, and she began to upregulate, turn on the proper genes for health and repair, and downregulate the genes for inflammation and disease, and upregulate the uh, immune system, you know, the genes for immune response. And I have to tell you, I was more surprised than anybody because when she stood up in the front row and started walking, uh, I knew right in that moment that... Uh, it was time for us to start measuring some of the changes that we were seeing in our events. And, and it's happening now more and more. And, and I was just in New York this past weekend. And as an example, a, a man had a huge, huge, uh, almost four-inch uh, mass on his pancreas. And, and uh, 
he was in emergency intensive care and really sad story. He was uh, he worked in the hospital, so he knew the doctors and uh, and uh, they were telling him, you know, his wife to get his papers their pa- his papers in order and that he probably wouldn't make it. And he started doing the work right then, and um, they uh, they discharged him out of uh, intensive care after about three weeks, and then he wound up in the hospital, you know, just on on regular. Uh, facility and then and then uh, they wanted to remove this mass they were going to send them to Boston uh, um, hospital to re- remove the mass and he had three weeks where he worked on it and before he went he said um, can we just take a uh, an MRI and and uh, they took the scan and I have I have the pre and the post scans three weeks later there's no evidence of the mass ever existing and, and the doctors were blown away and and he just kept doing the inner work, and wow, I mean, something like that is so significant because his enzymes were in his bloodstream were super high, and he was really struggling, and they thought he was going to suffocate from the amount of swelling that he had in his body. And and uh, he stood up there and said, you know, I, I'm I'm healthy and fine now, and uh, they they considered it a miracle. So we're starting to see these pretty commonly, and you know, when you see a MRI scan, say this is a really unusual situation, or there's been a significant change that we don't have a solution uh, understanding about. It gets pretty exciting. Yeah, <laughs> very exciting. And you're doing all of this. You've got you've you've also also conducted some other workshops. Was it here in the United States or were you abroad where it was with heart math? Right. Well, we 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 do uh, advanced workshops and. Anybody who comes to our progressive workshops is a candidate for our advanced workshops. And the whole reason I started doing these advanced workshops simply because we started seeing significant changes in Parkinson's disease and lupus and, I mean, rare genetic disorders. And people were getting better chronic pain. So I thought it would be a great idea. We've done 10 of them now. Okay. And um, we've done them in Australia. We've done them in Munich. We've done them in the United States. We've done them in Mexico. Uh, we've done them uh, around the world, and what we do is we measure changes. So, for example, 175 people, we, we, our events are r- roughly around 500 or 600 people, 175 people uh, get their brain scanned before they come to an event with quantitative electroencephalographic reading. Then they go through five days of training, and then we scan their brain at the end of five days. We want to know that the changes aren't just in their mind, that they're in fact in their brain. And we can get some really significant pre and post measurements and we can see changes in anxiety and depression and, you know, cyclic moods and intrusive thoughts, you know, chatter. Uh, And we measure the brain in real time. So we we randomly select uh, probably about seven or eight people and we watch their brain during meditation and we see how they're doing and we're, we're able to correlate some subjective experiences with significant objective changes in their brain. We also know that our students can change their brain waves very, very quickly because it's become a skill for them. And so then one of the elements is a clear intention, and that's a function of the brain. But the other element that really begins to produce effects in our world is an elevated emotion. So the emotions of gratitude, appreciation, kindness, care, compassion, that elevated emotion of inspiration and invincibility is the exact ingredient that takes your brain and body out of the past and begins to put it in the future. So when people feel frustration or impatience or 
judgment, their heart gets very incoherent. It beats out of rhythm. But when you start feeling those elevated emotions, the heart gets very organized and very coherent. So we want our students to be able to sustain those elevated emotional states. So we, we have them wear HRV monitors, heart rate monitors, uh, for 24 hours. They're just little kind of computer chips that we just tape it on there. We put the electrodes on their chest, and we partner with HeartMath Institute. And um, our, our results are just astounding. I just talked to two of the research analysts there, Roland McCready and, and Deb Rosman, and they're, and they're blown away by some of the results they're seeing. So our students are getting good at it. And when you combine that kind of coherent heart, it turns out that it in enhances our brain activity. It will become more organized and more coherent. And when the brain gets more coherent, the heart tends to get more coherent. So we also measure the energy of the room. If you have a community of 500 people that are experiencing elevated emotions, the heart begins to produce a magnetic field that's measurable. Sometimes it can be eight meters beyond the body. That, that emotion, that elevated emotion, produces an energy, and energy is frequency, and all frequency carries information. So when you have that elevated emotional state, that, that heightened energy, the intent or the thought is being carried on that, on that wave. And so you can begin to program the energy to begin to produce measurable effects in, in people's health and in, their, and in their lives. They're creating a new future. So we measure the energy of the room because if you have a community of 500 people and they're all beginning to broadcast a stronger electromagnetic signature, those waves begin to summate. They begin to create what's called constructive interference and the amplitudes heighten. And we've seen in all 10 events that the energy in the room five days later is a significant change. We also measure the energy around people's bodies. If they're really becoming, um, what I say, more wave and less particle, more energy and less matter, if they, are, if they are really truly freeing their bodies from the chains of those emotions that keep them anchored to the past, there should be a liberation of energy. And we've seen this so many times. Their field around their bodies actually enhance, and we have a sophisticated instrument that we use from Russia that's like, uh, a very advanced Kirlian photography machines. We can measure photonic emissions around the body to be able to prove that people are beginning to create more vital energy and more of a field around their body. We also measure genetic changes in the saliva and the urine. For example, we just did an advanced workshop in Tacoma, and we had 120 people. Uh, we measured their cortisol levels and, an, and a chemical called IgA, immunoglobulin A. Immunoglobulin A is the primary defense against bacteria and viruses. It's better than any flu shot. When your stress hormones go up, like cortisol, your IgA levels go down because when you're under stress, you're perceiving a threat in your external environment, and you're robbing your internal environment for growth and repair. So IgA naturally goes down and, and as cortisol levels go up. But what we wanted to see is if we could bring a community of people in and in a state of gratitude, in a state of empowerment, in a state of appreciation, in a state of joy, if they could sustain that state, if there, were, if there were changes in thought, changes in consciousness, changes in energy, changes in emotions, there should be changes in physiology and changes in genetic expression. Well, our, we just got the results back last week, and our students diminished their cortisol levels significantly in just four days. But the cool part is they, <clears throat> they elevated their IgA levels uh, from about, on the average, 51, which is normal, all the way up to 82, which is very, very high. And the, and the chances of that happening are, 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 are just, the statistics are just off the chart. So we've made a very significant change 
in their physiology, and of course, their immune system is stronger, their well-being is greater, and just 10 minutes or 15 minutes of gratitude a day causes those chemicals to begin to ward off um, disease and sickness. And, and the cool thing about that is that you start thinking about the opposite. Most people living by the hormones of stress 70% of the time, and they're working in an environment, say, a company where everybody's stressed. It's not the bugs or the germs that make them sick. It's the stress hormones that cause those opportunistic bacteria to have an opportunity to proliferate. So it's no coincidence that a whole community uh, in, a, in a company or an organization gets sick at the same time because they're all reacting to the same environmental conditions. So I think we've made scientific history uh, over and over again. And, and the cool thing about it is common people doing the uncommon. They're not Buddhist monks or nuns with 40 years of devotion or Kabbalistic rabbis or academics or scholars. They're like you and I. They're just common people. And I think once you know the what and the why, the how gets easier. So, so powerful. Uh, we have got to take a quick commercial break. And when we come back, we're going to talk some more about the hows and the whys with Dr. Joe Dispenda. Sue Lundquist here with the Gratitude Cafe. We'll be right back. Oh my gosh. Welcome back. Sue Lundquist here. Benny, I have a special guest here today, and it is Dr. Joe Dispenza. We are learning so much brainwave, actual change. We are learning about them them being the scientists with Dr. Joe Dispenza and the scientists actually proving the energy in the room, proving the energy in the body. We learned about the IGA, which we're gonna I'm gonna have to have him describe what that is again, but basically the IGA that's in your body, it's your primary defense system in your body. And if you keep that happy in a high vibration, it's going to, uh, is it antibodies, Dr. Joe? Is is that what, it, it's going to keep your body healthy and happy. I know I'm using really layman language because you're way more neurologically smart than I am. <laughs> no, I mean, really the bottom line is, is as your stress levels go up, your immune system goes down. We wanted to prove that if your stress hormones go down and you create elevated states, then it should be good for you, and, and it actually is. That, that the, the IgA is really just the major defense against viruses, bacteria, molds, foods. It, it, it creates an army of inner, um, inner coherence and inner balance and a strong army, army of cells that are going to protect you from anything in your external environment. And and it's not, it's not bugs that make us sick or germs that make us sick. We make us sick. The stress, right? Prove that to people, then they can wake up in the morning and they can say, okay, what am I thankful for? What do I, can I move into an elevated state? Can I, can I really give thanks for either the things that I have in my life or the things that are coming in my life? Because the emotional signature of gratitude means the event has already occurred. And gratitude tends to be the ultimate state that we receive in. Because when you're in a state of gratitude, the major thing that happens is you're not analyzing 
You're not thinking. You're accepting. And you ever notice that when you're in joy or in gratitude, the moment you start analyzing, you lose it because your brain yep. and heart start moving out of balance again. Yeah, it's all going back into that heart space, literally. And finding gratitude, and we're in the right channel for that right here, Gratitude Cafe. I mean, I have been practicing gratitude for years, and it has been a profound change in my life. And it it, it truly does elevate your well-being. It elevates your mind. It, it elevates how you think and perceive the world. I mean, and as soon as you and as soon as you change what's internally going on, your external world changes. I mean, you talk about that extensively. Well, I like that idea because it gives people the power. It gives them the power to create the life that they want. I mean, we're so conditioned into believing that we need a reason for joy or we need a reason for gratitude. You know, waiting for something outside of you to change how you feel inside of you. And the moment you feel differently inside of you, you pay attention to whoever or whatever caused it outside of, outside of you. And that event in and of itself is called a memory. So then if people are waiting for their wealth to feel abundance, if they're waiting for their success to feel empowerment, if they're waiting for their new job to feel gratitude, if they're waiting for the new relationship to feel love, if they're waiting for the mystical moment to feel awe, that's the old model of reality of cause and effect. The new model of reality is about causing an effect, which means you have to feel abundance in order for your wealth to come. You have to feel empowered in order to create success. You have to give thanks for your new job before it's made manifest, and it will find you. You have to fall in love with yourself and fall in love with life in order to have a vibrational match in a relationship. And you have to be in awe of life for the mystical moment to find you. And so then, can you teach your body emotionally, what that future could feel like now requires some training because people can intellectually say, AI hey, can do it, but when you're sitting down, you've been conditioned into another state. It requires some practice. But once you teach people how to do that, um, and you have a community of 500 people that are all interested in creating a better life, mm-hmm. the energy of the room goes up, people start healing spontaneously, um, and I believe that just like an infection can create a disease amongst the community. I believe that health and wellness can be as infectious as disease, and we see that all the time in our events. Oh, I 100% agree with you. Absolutely. I'm going to start, my new mantra is, I am causing an effect. I am. I am grateful for what's coming to me. I'm eager for what's coming to me in my life. And that's such a powerful message for everybody to hear, learn, and you have a workshop coming up in Seattle, and it's actually over Mother's Day weekend. How perfect is that to submerge yourself in an environment of love and acceptance and self-care? How wonderful would that be? Mm. Yummy. (laughs) Happy Mother's Day. Yes. So let's talk about, because after taking your classes, I kind of evolved and started a coaching practice and it was getting more so it was getting clear on myself and teaching myself new cognition tools. Can we talk a little bit about that, about changing the habit? I know you've got amazing books. You've got Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. You are the placebo among the two that I just happen to have here in studio with me. But habit, what is a habit? How do you break it? What kind of cognition tools do you offer to help change that habit? Well, by definition... A habit is a redundant set of automatic, unconscious thoughts, 
behaviors and emotions that are acquired through frequent repetition. A habit is when you've practiced something so many times, your body knows how to do it better than your mind. The body literally becomes the mind. And it becomes a subconscious program. And 95% of who we are by the time you're 35 years old is a set of memorized behaviors, emotional reactions, unconscious choices and actions and behaviors, uh, beliefs, perceptions, and attitudes that function like a subconscious computer program. So 5% of our conscious mind and brain are working against 95% of what we've been conditioned to subconsciously. So the problem is, is that people then say, well, I'm going to think positively, but they've been feeling negatively for the last 35 years. <laughs> and the yeah. reason they're saying, I want to think positively, is because they really are feeling negatively. Or they can create their dream board with their SUV and their new house and all their new toys and everything else, but if they feel unworthy, that's mind and body in opposition because thoughts are the language of the brain and feelings are the language of the body. And how you think and how you feel creates a state of being. So we think 60 to 70,000 thoughts in one day. Out of the 60 to 70,000 thoughts we think in one day, 90% of those thoughts, Sue, are the same thoughts as the day before. So the same thoughts always lead to the same choices. The same choices always lead to the same behaviors. The same behaviors create the same experiences, and the same experiences produce the same emotions. And those very same emotions drive our very same thoughts. And our biology, our neurocircuitry, our neurochemistry, our neurohormones, uh, and even our genetic expression are equal to how we think, how we act, and how we feel. And how you think and how you feel is called your personality. And your personality creates your personal reality. That's it. So then, if you wanted to create a new personal reality, a new life, the first thing you have to do is start thinking about what you've been thinking about and change it. Become aware and conscious of your unconscious habits and behaviors, what you say, what you do. And look at those emotions that keep bringing you to a lower denominator and decide if those emotions belong in your future. And I think that most people try to create a new personal reality as the same personality, and it doesn't work. We literally have to become someone else. So then that concept of self-observation or self-awareness in neuroscience is called metacognition. Because the moment you become conscious of your unconscious thoughts, that means you're no longer the program. You're the consciousness observing the program, and you're beginning to objectify your subjective self. You're looking at yourself through the eyes of someone else, becoming aware of your automatic behaviors and habits. And if you're so conscious of how unconscious you've been that you don't go unconscious again, well, now you have more control over it. And if you can look at those emotions that are from past experiences that have branded you in some way, and become aware that you've been suffering or victimized or guilty or unworthy or insecure, and all of a sudden you're so aware that you're feeling that way that you make a different choice. As you're observing those states of mind and body, consciousness is pulling out of the biology. And here's the cool part about that, is that the word meditation literally means to become familiar with. Mm. So if you're sitting there 
in a meditation and you're becoming aware of your thoughts and you're noticing your unconscious propensities and habits and you're becoming aware of the emotions, you're angry, you're frustrated, you're impatient, that should tell you volumes about yourself. Nobody's doing that to you. All you're doing is sitting there. So if you can become so conscious and familiar with those unconscious states, you're in a meditation to know thyself. But then if you were to say, what thoughts do I want to fire and wire in my brain? What behaviors do I want to demonstrate today? And the act of thinking about and rehearsing who you're going to be when you open your eyes begins to cause the brain to fire in new sequences and new patterns and new combinations. Whenever you make your brain work differently, you're changing your mind because mind is the brain in action. So then as you begin to install the neurological hardware in your brain to look like the event has already occurred, the brain just moves from living in the past to living in the future. In other words, it is now a roadmap to your destiny. And if you keep firing and wiring over and over again, the hardware program becomes a software program and it begins to become easy and more familiar to you. And if you can cultivate the emotional state before the event has occurred, your body is the unconscious mind, does not know the difference between the actual experience in your life that creates the emotion and the emotion that you're creating by thought alone, the emotion then begins to upregulate new genes in new ways, and your body begins to change to look like the event has already occurred. And if you keep doing that, and cultivating those elevated states, it'll begin to become familiar to you. So the process of change is literally unlearning and relearning. It's breaking the habit of the old self and reinventing a new self. It's pruning synaptic connections, as we say in neuroscience, and sprouting new connections. It's unfiring and unwiring and refiring and rewiring. It's unmemorizing emotions that are stored in your body, then reconditioning your body to a new mind and a new emotion to begin to change your genetic expression from the past to the future and pull your energy out of the past and put it in the future. And, and once you understand the technology of how to do that, uh, you start to see some pretty amazing changes taking place in people's lives. 100% totally agree with you. And before we go to a commercial, I'm just going to give a quick example. And you can agree, I, I think, agree, disagree. And maybe it was even you that I got the example from. But when we talk about mind over matter and, and practicing that over and over and over again, you are literally changing that neural pathway. So an example that I have offered to um, my coaching clients and, and just from a memory for myself is Jordan. He got so good. When he stepped up to that free throw line, his body already had rehearsed it so many times. He already knew what to do over and over again. He got up there and can I say it was like second nature? I mean, he just, he, he did it. The basket would always go in because he had rehearsed it over and over. His body already knew what to do. Exactly. So then that applies to leadership. That applies to a patient parent. That applies to anything that you do in your life where you want to demonstrate that same thing. So sports abound with this. And if you keep doing the rehearsal, what happens is your brain and body finally begin to change by thought alone. So then you have the thought of what you're going to do, and then the analytical mind gets out of the way, and the body's been programmed to do it already. And the cool thing about that is that you can program your brain and body into a greater state of being instead of a limited state of being, and the process works exactly the same. 
Let's all have a greater state of being. We're going to come right back. We've got to take a quick commercial. And we are joined here with the wonderful, I think he's wonderful, Dr. Joe Dispenza. A couple of his books, Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself, You Are the Placebo, Making Your Mind Matter. I love these book titles, Dr. Joe. It's very clever. We're going to be right back. Sue Lundquist here with the Gratitude Cafe positive radio to feed your soul where we are at a higher vibration we are keeping you healthy mind body and soul we'll be right back Oh, thank you so much, Benny. Here we are again, Sue Lundquist with the Gratitude Cafe. We are joined here by Dr. Joe Dispenza. Oh my gosh, have we learned so much. And you can actually see him in person right here in Seattle for his workshops. It's actually going to be over Mother's Day weekend. You can go to uh, his website at drjoedispenza.com. And look up under his events. And I honestly, I'm going to have all this stuff on my newsletter. It's already currently on my Facebook page. So I made it click and easy for you to find his information. Not only does he have books, uh, he's also got um, audio, you know, for meditation. And we before we went to break, we talked about how important meditation is because, well, like Dr. Show, Dr. Joe said, meditation means to become familiar with. And the last couple shows that I've talked to you guys about, it all starts with the basis of awareness, being aware of your surroundings, being aware of who you are, who you're showing up to be. It's important that you ask those questions. And if you don't like that, then you need to begin to change your behavior, change how you're showing up in life and how you do that. One of the one of my foundational tools is showing up and having gratitude for something that's already happened in my life or I want to have happen in my life. Do you want to talk a little bit about that, Dr. Joe? Sure, sure. I think that most people, you know, wait for a crisis or trauma or disease or diagnosis. They wait for loss or something to cause them to feel differently. And the moment they feel differently, they can look at themselves and see who they've been because they're no longer feeling like themselves. They're, they can see themselves better because they're not themselves. So, you can learn and change in a state of pain and suffering, and that's the old model of reality. That's the Newtonian model. Wait till it gets really bad, and then when it's really bad, start changing. And then you've got to fight uphill, and it's a long fight for a lot of people. Well, my message is wait. You know, why wait for that? Mm-hmm. You, can, you can begin to do the exact same thing, but instead of moving to a lower level to observe yourself, it's absolutely possible that when you move into a state of gratitude, and you're defined by a vision of the future instead of a memory of the past. Biologically, neurologically, chemically, hormonally, genetically, it's the same in the body. When you move into an elevated state and you give thanks, now you're no longer feeling like your typical self either, but instead of seeing yourself from a lower level, 
you're seeing yourself from an elevated level, and you could be just as aware as the old self of the old self as you did when you were feeling less, but now you're feeling elevated. So then the brain is organized to reflect everything you know in your life. The brain is a record of the past. Feelings and emotions are the end product of past experiences, and we feel certain ways because of past events. So then if you're feeling the same way every single day, it means nothing new is happening in your life. And if those feelings, familiar feelings, are a record of the past and those feelings and emotions are driving your thoughts, then you're going to be thinking in the past, which means you're going to be predictable and your life is going to stay the same. But then when you move into an elevated state and you start to feel gratitude, your body begins to believe it's actually occurring and those emotions drive new thoughts like, hey, I trust the universe, it's going to work out, don't stress it, something great's going to happen. And it's those elevated emotions that begin to drive new thoughts that begin to change your physiology. So then having people sustain the state for an extended period of time means that they have to step into the unknown. And when they step into the unknown, it means that they can't predict their life anymore. But the antithesis is very, very interesting because some people would rather hold on to their guilt than step into the unknown. They'd rather hold on to their suffering and their pain because at least they can predict it. In the unknown, you don't know what's going to happen, so most people run back and cling to the familiar states of mind and body. So it does take some training to break some of those addictions to the stress hormones that cause us to always want to try to predict the future based on the past. And if you can predict the future and you can predict the feeling of that future event and that feeling is familiar, then you're going to keep creating more of the same. So I say, and we've seen this on thousands of brain scans, that you are at your absolute best when you get beyond yourself. You are at your absolute best when you trust in the unknown and you just let go, don't analyze, and see what happens. That's the, that's the organic quality, what I call the natural state of being of who we really are. Now, getting people to that point and inspiring them uh, is getting easier and easier because people have so much access to information. And because they have access to information, they're, they're just better equipped and more educated uh, to actually embrace this process. I know for me personally, 10 years ago, standing in front of an audience, I had to really work on a certain level to bring them up to a level of acceptance. And I mean, now I just walk out there and people are so informed, we just start right right there and it's, it's, a, it's a fun process. So. The elevated emotion then moves you from the past into the future. And then your job, though, is to sustain that state of being your entire day and not go back to those familiar emotions. Because if you can maintain that modified state of mind and body your entire day, get ready. Mm. Something unusual is going to happen in your life. It's the law. And it's going to come in a way that you least expect. Why? Because if you can expect it, it's nothing new. It's got to be an unknown. It's got to rock your world. It's got to catch you off guard. It's got to surprise you. Because the unknown is a surprise. And the brain learns one of two ways, by mistakes or surprises. So let's have a few surprises. And when the energy and the experience catches you off guard and you're overjoyed by it and jubilant, that very energy should inspire you to create again, and that's how we become moving from victims in our life to creators of our life. 
Yeah, I'm I'm all for surprises and being a creator in my life. It's the natural state of being and sustaining that I think is where people get hang up. And you're absolutely right. You get addicted to the stress that you say addicted to the stress hormone or addicted to the um I think there is that well you would know there's that medical term um oh gosh I've I've lost my train of thought about it but there's some stress hormone that your body releases and you get get addicted to that feeling is that basically what you're trying to say or what I'm trying to say adrenaline that's it so so you you see a predator that's hiding around the corner or you sense a predator that's around the corner guess what happens you're going to begin to put all of your attention on the outer world all of your attention on your body and all of attention on time in other words there's something in my outer environment I'm going to focus on objects and things and matter my senses get heightened I become a materialist Yep. I've got to take care of my body. My body's in danger. and I, have, I only have a certain amount of time to run, to hide, or to fight. So people who live by those chemicals are mobiling, mobilizing enormous amounts of energy for some threat in their external environment. But it doesn't have to be a predator like a lion or a mm-hmm. cougar. It could be their boss, their mother-in-law, their ex-husband. It could be anything. And they begin to perceive that same person as if they were a predator. It gets worse because then we can begin to turn on that stress response just by thought alone, thinking about our problems, thinking about the past, thinking about the future. And so the rush of those chemicals of adrenaline mobilizes energy so that the body's prepared for some threat. Well, people begin to associate the problems and conditions in their life with that rush of energy. Mm. I'm addicted to to that emotion. So they need the bad job, they need the bad relationship, they need the poor circumstances to reaffirm their personality. So when it comes time to change, it's like an addict who's now all of a sudden breaking an addiction to some drug. The body goes into cravings and the body wants the familiar (laughs) emotional state. And when that occurs, the person returns back to the same self and they say, no, this feels right. Well, no, no, that feels familiar. Yes. Huge right there. It feels familiar. That doesn't mean it's good. You've got to step out of that comfort zone. Please continue. I'm sorry. My final point is that, so when we're in the process of change, and you can turn on the stress response just by thought alone, and those those chemicals are addictive, you become addicted to your thoughts. So now, (laughs) you've got to begin to break out of your biology and you look around in your life to see if anybody's doing it, and of course nobody's doing it because everybody else is clinging in the same way, and, mm. and, um, and that's why people are, are afraid to change. Uh, but people who really do do this properly, and there's a technology that we've seen happen repeatedly, they reach a point where all of a sudden their brain and body settles down. They're no longer addicted to those chemicals, and they're seeing possibilities they never saw before because... They're no longer viewing their future through the lens of the past. The side effect of that, brilliant ideas, downloads, uh, creative, uh, creativity, um, um, new opportunities. I mean, they just, they, they've crossed the river, you know, and they're on the other side. Magic happens. It's, yeah. you're, I mean, it absolutely does. I have personally witnessed it not only when I've attended your workshops, but literally when I have walked out of your workshop or when I have created that practice in my life, the meditation and creating that awareness in my life and deciding and taking responsibility and accountability for my own life, my own environment. Yeah, and, and, and um, well, gosh, I mean, I, I don't really have an interest in keynote 
presentations anymore, conferences, because I don't really feel like many people are changed by it. They're informed. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, I want to be with the people that want to do it. And I think our job is to take philosophical, theoretical, scientific, spiritual information and apply it, personalize it, demonstrate it. Yep. Uh, initiate it in your life. And when you do, you have a new experience. The experience then produces an emotion. And the moment you feel that new emotion from the new experience, now you're beginning to embody the truth of that philosophy. If you've done it once, you've got to be able to do it again. And if you can keep repeating it, both neurologically and chemically, you'll condition your body to become the mind, and you'll be Michael Jordan. <laughs> you go from philosopher to initiate to master, from knowledge to experience to wisdom, from mind to body to soul, and from thinking to doing to being. And we have all the biological and neurological machinery to do that. And, and it's all us. It's all within ourselves. You make the choice to not be addicted to the stress or not be addicted to the adrenalines. And that can run havoc. We could have a whole nother show about how havoc is going to be stressing on your body and all of that. But creating and sustaining your natural state of being, creating that space of gratitude, feeling that in your body, and really taking that into your life. You will get the tools. You will get the training and, and Dr. Joe, honestly, when I said this earlier, you not only changed my life, but thousands of other people. But look at the lives that you're changing going forward, my generations, because I am teaching my daughters exactly these tools and all the thousands of other people that are teaching their generations and more and, you know, moving forward. So thank you so much. Really, thank you. You know, I'm, I'm so humbled and so honored uh by what's happening uh, in our community and what we're seeing with people. And, I mean, I, I, I just, I'm just so, so thrilled. I mean, people say, oh, my God, you travel so much, and, it's, you know, you're away from your home and your family. And, and um, God, I just, I just could not not do this because it's, it's such an amazing uh, ride and just seeing uh, what's occurring around the world, and it's just an honor and a privilege to be a part of it. Well, you're making some huge changes, and thank you so much for bringing this to the world, bringing this to my consciousness. And, you know, it, it, it seems like I, I want to give you a big, huge, fat hug, and when I see you right now spiritually, I just want to hug you, and I feel like thank you is just not enough, but literally, I do. I thank you all the time in my messages, and, and I know there's lots of other people out there, and I love seeing the changes in all the other people, too. It's fantastic. Well, for me, I mean, I, I've just had so many shifts in the last couple of years. I think the greatest compliment or the greatest way to thank me is to do the work. I mean, I, I, when I see people say, you're not going to believe this, and that just tends to be the first line <laughs> single email we get or whatever. When people are doing the work and they say, God, you know, I was diagnosed with this condition or my, my life fell apart and they told me how this was going to happen and I did, started doing the work and on it, I couldn't believe the changes I was seeing in my life, but by the changes I was making inside of me. To me, that's the greatest way to thank me. That's the greatest compliment you can give me because it really means that it's working, right? Yeah, 100%. Boy, this hour went fast. We've got to wrap it up. I know, um, Benny, I've got like literally seconds to go, but for all of you out there, again, big, huge thank you. And my, I'm doing the work, Dr. Joe, and I'm sharing the work, and I want everybody to know about your workshops, about how they can get a hold of you, drjoedispenza.com. You can go to my website, and I will have everything on there. 
What a wonderful treat this has been. Thank you, Dr. Joe, and um, I look forward to seeing you in the future. Keep up the great work, Sue. I love you very much. Love to you, too. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to sign up at SueLundquist.com to get all your questions answered and free goodies delivered directly to your inbox. We'll see you next time.